this series that we're in right now, we're going, from, we're going from the birth of Jesus at Christmas to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus at Easter. We've broken this up into the three different months. And in the first month, we're talking about the unpredictable way in which Jesus got started in his ministry. Uh, because people were expecting God to show up at some point. Well, the people that were expecting, actually, truthfully, most people had given up. Because it had been 400 years since they'd heard from God. That's a long time, man. 400 years ago was when the pilgrims were here. So can you imagine if from the time of the pilgrims to now, nobody in America had ever seen God do anything? Like since that time, we've experienced the first and second great awakenings. I'm praying that, and both of those started in New England. I'm praying for God to do a third. And I want it to start here in New England uh, also. So that's, that's how I, I pray on a regular basis for that. But um, we've also had like Billy Graham. Before Billy Graham, there was like Billy Sunday. Before Billy Sunday, there was Mordecai Ham. And none of these names mean anything to you unless you're into that stuff. But in those generations, everybody in America has had their own version of Billy Graham. Like Billy Graham is Billy Graham. Oh my gosh. And now there's like a little bit of a spiritual vacuum in our country. And, and um, as far as like a figurehead, and I'm okay with that. I think this is the time for the local churches to shine. Um, but but doesn't matter. In, anyway, my point is, is that for the last 400 years, America's got to experience lots of different moves of God, but the Jewish people went 400 years without anything from God, man. Like, people are like, I don't even, they say God exists, but where the heck is he, right? Like, they're so desperate that when the Maccabean brothers fought the Greeks and they ran out of oil in the temple, but the candle stayed lit for seven days or eight days, they turned that into Hanukkah. Like, we will turn that into a national holiday forever because God kept a candle going. Bro, you'll celebrate a candle forever when it's been 400 years since you've heard from God at all. Right? Like, that's where they're at. People are starting to give up on it. Then Jesus shows up, and people start to all get excited again. Like, oh, he's going to be like Moses, and he's going to set us free from Egypt and lead us out of bondage to the Romans. No, he's going to be like, he's going to be like David. Because the Bible says the Messiah will sit on the throne of his father David forever. So he's going to rise up an army, and we're going to defeat the Romans like David defeated the Philistines. And then Jesus comes out saying, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemies. Pray for your enemies. And they're like, that sucks. Jesus goes, the biggest problem in the world is not outside of you, it's inside of you. Well, nobody wants, I want God to fix everybody else, Right? Like whenever my marriage got sideways, it's because God wasn't fixing her. God, you need to do something about this chick. She's out of control. <laughs> right? Everybody wants God to do everything outside, but God's always been more interested in fixing, because truthfully, your biggest threat isn't outside of you. It's, it's in you. Like I don't need anybody else to ruin my marriage. I've almost done that twice without any help. Like I'm fully capable of screwing up all the good stuff in my life. And God knows that. So he knows that the biggest thing that we need to be rescued from is the brokenness that's in us. But it was the way he came out of the gate that messed people up. Because he was saying things like, well, you heard Moses say, but I say. That'd be like me standing up in a tech conference going, well, Elon says this, but Sean says that they're going, who the heck is Sean? Well, Warren Buffett says, but I say. Right? That you're like, who are you? So when Jesus gets up and says, well, Moses said, don't commit adultery. But I say, I was like, bro, like that's kind of blasphemous. You've heard Moses say, do not kill. But I say, 
right? Like Jesus coming out saying, well, the Bible says this, but I say, but I say. Wait, the Bible says this, but I say this? Like you're claiming to speak on behalf of God, and that's a little fresh. And it really bothered people. And there's lots of different examples of that in the first four books in the Christian New Testament, which each of them give a different narrative of the life of Jesus from different perspectives. We call those the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So the four gospels give us different examples of people getting upset with Jesus because he came out of the gate so strong, right? There's a few examples of this uh, that I, I wanted to bring up. Jesus heals the paralyzed man, but before he heals the paralyzed man, he says, this guy's been, uh, he, he hasn't been able to walk since he was born. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leader is like, no one can forgive sins but God, which is true. Who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. And if Jesus isn't God, they're right. That is blasphemy. So then Jesus says to them, when he hears them whispering about this, he says, what's easier to say your sins are forgiven or take up your bed? Because he had a mat that he would lay on. Or to take up your mat and walk. And they don't answer, but I'm thinking, well, it'd be easier to say your sins are forgiven because there's no proof that their sins actually are. So anybody can say it, right? But they don't respond. So the Bible says that Jesus looked at them but said to the dude who was crippled, take up your bed and walk while looking right in their eyes. Homeboy picked up his mat and walked out. Jesus dropped the mic. Drake started playing in the background. (laughs) Right? Or you've seen that meme where that one kid, he's wearing glasses, he roasts somebody, and then he falls back into his friends, and they're all like, whoa! Anybody know the meme I'm talking about? That's it. That's it. That's that meme, right? That Jesus goes, looks at them, but says to the dude, stand up. Boom. And all the disciples are like, ah! (laughs) It's the best mic drop moment in the whole Bible. When Jesus and his disciples pick grain and eat on the Sabbath, the Pharisees are like, why are you breaking the Sabbath? And Jesus goes, Jesus one-ups the Sabbath. He's a man isn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath's made for man. Paul takes it one step further and says, Jews worship on Saturday. The Gentiles worship on Sunday. Set aside a day of worship. That's what he says. One says one day is holy, and the other says the other day is holy. And he says, it doesn't matter. Like, the Sabbath was made for you. Like, this is not Sunday or Saturday. Neither one are Sabbath for me. I'm working both days. So when is preacher Sabbath? No, seriously. When am I supposed to go? Give me my Sabbath, dang it. No, my my Sabbath is Friday. (laughs) I'm Muslim, and you didn't even know. Three. Um, Jesus heals a dude on Sabbath. They get upset with that. And Jesus goes, well, if you guys had a donkey fall in a ditch, wouldn't you help the donkey out? In a person better than a donkey? Whoa. Um, chief priests and scribes asked Jesus, by what authority do you do this stuff? And who gives you this authority? Um, Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and on, this is in John chapter 3. And he goes, we don't know what to do with you, dude. Like, everything you say is blasphemous, but then you're doing all these miracles. We're like, I don't... It's obvious you're from God, like, but what you're saying, like, I, I've got no category for this, right? It was, it was, like, it was really tripping people out. Uh, when Jesus drives out the money changers in the temple in this last week before the crucifixion, the chief priests and scribes asked him, show us a sign that you're really from God. Like, that was always the problem for them. 
is that you're doing all this stuff. Now, Peter, the apostle, St. Peter, you guys know, you've heard of him. Peter connects Jesus' miracles to Jesus' identity in Acts chapter two. This is the first sermon that's ever preached after Jesus had ascended into heaven. In Acts chapter two, verse 22, Peter says, people of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus, the Nazarene, by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. Now, the girl here on the second row has a red shirt. And if I, you guys are a hostile audience, and I said, her shirt is red, as you all know. Or excuse me, if I said, her shirt is green, as you all know, everybody would go, what? It's not green. So they, Peter says, Jesus was endorsed by God, by the miracles that he did. And you know this to be true. What does the crowd do? Cricket, cricket, cricket. Why? Because they know it's true. In fact, that argument was so compelling. At the end of the sermon, 3,000 people instantly switched to Team Jesus. That's how convincing just that piece of evidence was. But what Peter says is that the miracles were to authenticate the message. The miracles weren't the thing. That explains why Jesus would often heal people and he'd say, no, don't tell anybody. Why? Because the miracle isn't the thing. I don't want everybody to come thinking, oh, I'm going to come to God and just get what I want from them. Right? Like the message is the thing. The miracle just validates the message. The miracle's not the thing. It just validates the thing. The thing is repent of your sins and turn to God and be saved. That's the thing. That's what you desperately, like your biggest problem isn't that you're physically blind. Your biggest problem is that you're spiritually blind. Your biggest problem is not that you're physically deaf. Your biggest problem is that you're spiritually deaf. You don't hear from God. That's the thing. The miracle is just to get you to trust this new information. That, that was the thing. And in the, the crazy and unpredictable thing about Jesus is that the people that he's doing the miracles for are the people that were not eligible to go to temple. Because according to the Torah, if you were blind, you weren't allowed in synagogue. If you had any type of physical deformity, you weren't, if you were deaf, if you were blind, if you were crippled, if you had leprosy, you couldn't go to temple, couldn't go to synagogue. So the idea is that if you're born that way, then God predetermined that you could never be right with him. Therefore, you are cursed. So then the idea was that anybody who had any type of a physical deformity or sickness was cursed by God. God hated them. You don't want to be associated with them at all. So families were, family members were kicked out if they had disabilities. And they became beggars on the street. Families didn't want, why? Because by association, they make all of us unclean. But then Jesus shows up, and these are all the people he's hanging out with? That was weird. Like, how can you go straight to the people who are crippled if, and say you're from God when God's the one who made them cripple? Right? That was the idea. God cursed them. They're cursed. How can you say they're loved? It was that, it was that whole thing. So in Matthew chapter 8 and 9, we get all these different examples of Jesus going straight to the people that everybody thought was obviously cursed by God and healing them. And then the miracles themselves became evidence that what he was saying was actually from God. So in Matthew chapter 8, which is where we're at today, you get the man with leprosy who says to Jesus, if you, if you wanted to heal me, you could. Or he says, if you want to heal me, you can. So does this guy have faith, yes or no? Yes or no? He had faith before he was ever even healed. And Jesus saw that. And he goes, I am willing. Stretch out your hand. He stretched out his hand. It was better. <gasps> Homeboy was healed of leprosy. Next one is the Roman centurion's servant. 
This is a Roman. And Jesus said multiple times, I came to give the Jewish people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the first shot at being reconciled to God because I promised it. And then after my resurrection, everybody else will get an opportunity. But a Roman comes ahead of time. I mean, this is a bad guy. And he says, master, which he probably didn't say in front of any other Roman soldiers or he would have lost his job. But he says, master, my servant, who's a Jewish person, is a really good person, loves your God, is, is dying. Would you please heal them? And Jesus said, well, show me where you live. And he goes, no, 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 no. I'm not worthy for you to come into my home. He says, I'm a man of authority and a man under authority. If I tell somebody to go, they go. I only have to check up on it. So if you just say the word, I know my servant will be healed. And Jesus goes, I ain't seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. He's healed. The man runs home and he finds out at what time his servant was healed. And it was the same time that Jesus had told him that his servant was healed. That's, that's in there, Matthew chapter 8. It's a good story. Peter's mother-in-law had a fever. Jesus healed her. So if Peter had a mother-in-law, that means Peter had a what? It's the only way you'd want a mother-in-law. <laughs> Who did not know Peter had a wife? Who did not? So everybody knew, already knew that? I'm going to ask again. I'm going to see who's... Remember, the Bible said, do not bear false witness. <laughs> Who did not know that Peter had a wife? It's not everybody. <laughs> Freaking liars. At the end of chapter 8, you get a crazy story about two naked demon-possessed dudes. We're coming back to them because they used to beat people up. Can you imagine getting jumped by a naked... You know, let's not imagine that. Let's move on. Matthew chapter 9. There's the paralyzed man who's healed. There's the daughter of the synagogue leader who's healed. There's the woman with the issue of blood who's healed. There's the two blind men who uh, called out, son of David, have mercy on us. Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus walks right by him. Son of David. They called it. They annoyed him. One of the disciples walked over and said, stop it. You're bothering people. Because Jesus obviously isn't going to heal you. And that's when Jesus walked over. And he goes, what do you guys want? Can you heal us? And he goes, do you believe I can? No. We just thought we'd yell your name for no reason in a crowd. So Jesus, Jesus heals them. There's some pretty cool stories uh, uh, right, right in there. But we're going to be looking at the two naked demon-possessed guy story for the rest of our time. Because in this one story, you see three things, that Jesus has the authority of God because he is. Two, that Jesus wants to transform broken people's lives. And three, that Jesus uses broken people to help broken people. Matthew chapter 8 is where we're at. If you've got your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. By the way, this story is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's not in John, but it's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And the neat thing is they each give different details. So I'm going to give you details that we're not going to see in Matthew. That's because I've already read Mark and Luke. So Matthew 8, Mark 5, Luke 8. You guys, if you had a homework assignment, it would be to go to the story of the demon-possessed dudes who are rescued and write down all the details from Matthew, then write all the details from Mark, then write all the details from Luke, and then match them up. And you're going to go, holy cow, Sean was right. So there's, in all three of those stories of the demon-possessed guys who are healed, it starts with Jesus in the Sea of Galilee in a big, gigantic storm. It's so bad that the fishermen think they're going to drown. Now, if you make your living on the ocean, on the water, it's actually the Sea of Galilee, it's a lake, but it's a gigantic lake, um, but, and it behaved like a sea. So, uh, especially in storms, the storms, they're really, really bad. Over the centuries, tons of shipwrecks and all that kind of stuff in the storms. So the fishermen thought for sure that, so think of it like a hurricane. And then this is when Jesus stands up and he says, peace be still, and instantly the waters calm, and they land on the wrong side of the Sea of Galilee. So you've got Tiberius over here, then you've got Magdala in the corner, 
the top left corner of the Sea of Galilee. That's where Mary Magdalene was from, Magdala. And then you move in this way, uh, you get to another fishing village, forget the name of that one, but then right outside of that is where the Sermon on the Mount was preached. Keep going this way, and then you get Capernaum, that's where uh, James, John, Peter, and Andrew were from, that's where Jesus healed uh, Peter's mother-in-law. And then you keep going down around the corner like this, and then you get to the bad part of, of Israel. And I say the bad parts because it was, it was very Romanized. And so people were like, like there were Jewish people over there, but they were Jewish people that all compromised, and they all kind of like embraced Roman culture. Like that was that side of the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus actually, his whole ministry that I'm aware of only went over there twice. He spent all of his time on this side of the Jordan River. Didn't spend much time on that side of the Jordan River because that was the bad neighborhood from a conservative religious Jewish perspective. But this is the first time that Jesus shows up in that neighborhood. So the storm's over, then Jesus lands right here. And that's where we get this story. Uh, Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. When Jesus arrived on the other side of the lake in the region of the Gadarenes, in the region of the what, everybody? Everybody together? The region of the? Gadarenes. This is important. I'm going to show you why in a minute. There met him, of the region of the Galilee, uh, Gadarenes, two men who were possessed by demons met him. How many men were demon-possessed? Everybody? So it's the region of the? How many men? Two men demon-possessed. Back at the story. They lived in a cemetery and were so violent that no one could go through that area. Uh, Mark and Luke give us additional details. So we know that they're demon-possessed. We know that their name is Legion. Uh, Jesus said, what is your name? And he goes, our name is Legion because there's a crap ton of us in here. Right? Like, what is a legion? How big is that? Is that 1,000? Is that 2,000 demons in these two guys? I don't even know. They were... Um, they lived in the tombs, which are on a hill. They, the Jewish people would dig tombs into the side of a hill. They would dig a tunnel like this, and then they would dig out shelves uh, for the bodies to decompose, and they would come back a year later when it was just bones, and they would put the bones in an ossuary in a little um, box, and then they would stack those on top of each other in the back of the cave. And so those guys would come in, and they would apparently would scoop out the rotting bodies and sleep there. Like, that's these guys. And they were naked. They had no clothes. They would cut themselves with rocks until they bled. Then they would scream at all hours of the night. Mark and Luke also tell us that people from the villages around there would come and try to subdue them and get them help because they're somebody's son, somebody's brother. And um, I mean, they could have just killed them because they were so violent and dangerous. But again, they're somebody's family. So they would try to... Uh, they, it says they had often been bound with chains but they would break the chains apart and then beat up the people who would come to do it. Can you imagine showing up to work the next day and you got a black guy? Hey, man, how did you get that black guy? Um, there was a robbery and uh, nah, dude, you got jumped by the naked dude, didn't you? <laughs> dude, why are you in that neighborhood? That's stupid. Oh, no, I was just trying to help. Dude, how many times have you been beat up by that naked dude? Like, stop going over there. So the Bible says that nobody would go by that way anymore. Nobody would go by that way anymore. So that's what we know about these two guys. Mark, this is how Mark starts off the story. In Mark chapter 5, verse 1. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the? Nope. Wait, what? So who's telling the truth? Matthew says it's the region of the Gadarenes. Mark says it's the region of the Gerasenes. And that is not a typo. They are talking about two different groups of people. We'll get to that in a minute. 
So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from a cemetery to meet him. How many men? Wait, what? Matthew said there's how many dudes? Mark talks about how many dudes? Luke also talks only about one dude. We're not going to look it up for the sake of time. In my 20s, I was like, that's a contradiction. Who's telling the truth? Matthew says there's how many guys? Two. So how many guys are there? Let's assume nobody's lying here. Let's just assume for just a second nobody's lying. Somebody said three. (laughs) I don't know. Matthew says there's two. So how many are there? Mark and Luke don't say there is only one man. They just say a man. So they're talking about one man. They're not saying there weren't more. They're saying, we're gonna talk, and, and there's a reason why. We're going to get to that in a minute. There's, there's a, Matthew actually doesn't get, Matthew tells us there's two, and his version of the story is this short. Mark and Luke tells us about one guy because one guy makes it to the end of the story. And there's an end of the story that Matthew leaves out. Not because it didn't happen, just that was, remember, Matthew's point is to prove that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the better Moses, that he is Emmanuel, God who is now with us. So he's wanting to emphasize the deity of Jesus. Mark and Luke, they've got a different audience, so they're going to bring different things out of the story. Luke is writing to just non-Jewish people. He says at the beginning, to my friend Theophilus. That's not a Jewish name, dude. That's a, a Roman dude who speaks Greek. So his letter is for non-Jewish people. Matthew's is just for Jewish people. I want you to see that Jesus is God. Mark and Luke is like, I got to tell you about this one dude that this happened to. Matthew tells us there's two dudes, but he doesn't tell us everything that happens. Um, We're going to get to that in a minute. Let's go back to the story in Matthew chapter 8, verse 29. These two demon-possessed guys, remember Matthew says there's two guys, they began screaming at him, why are you interfering with us, son of God? Jesus didn't even introduce himself, but the demons knew exactly who he was. You are the son of God, God the son. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? See, a lot of us think that the devil's in charge of hell. Nope. The Bible says that hell was created for Satan and his angels. They don't want to go. And they ain't there now. They're not there. Now, there's going to be a day when they are thrown there, and they even know about that. That's why they're saying, are you going to send us to hell before we're supposed to go there, right? Like, are you, are you about to bend the rules, right? That's the question. That's what they're asking. Uh, have you come here to tor- torture us before, God's, before God said it was supposed to happen? Verse 30, there happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding in the distance, so the demons begged, if you are going to cast us out, send us into the herd of pigs. All right, go, Jesus commanded them. So the demons came out of the men, and entered the pigs, and the whole herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town, telling everybody what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the entire town came out to meet Jesus, but they begged him to go away and leave him alone. That's a weird response. I feel like there's information left out, and there is. Now, what Matthew says is 100% true. There were two guys who came out, The demons were cast out of the two men into the pigs up on the top of the hill. Then the pigs ran off the cliff or down the hill into the Sea of Galilee, and they drowned. Then those two guys went into the village to tell everybody what had happened. 
All the people come out and ask Jesus to leave, and he leaves. Mark gives us all the in-between. Mark says in Mark, Mark chapter 5, verse 14 to 20, the herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. All right, no new information yet. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus. That's new. Now we're getting all the stuff in between the guys telling everybody and then them asking Jesus to leave. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who'd been possessed by the legion of demons and he was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane and that scared the crap out of them. That's why they were afraid. See, that's the detail that Mark and Luke give us. They, they tell us, by the way, my story is about the dude who was still there when the townspeople got there. Matthew tells us how many guys were healed. How many guys were healed? But how many people were still following Jesus by the time the town got there? What happened to the other dude? He did what half of all Christians I know do. Thanks for the hookup. I'm out. I just wanted the benefits. I wanted to feel good about myself because of religion. But I wasn't into the whole denying my selfishness, taking up my cross and following Jesus. I want the benefits of religion. I don't want the cost. Like, I don't want to actually, like, like, I want to go to heaven when I die, but I don't want to, like, let God change me. I don't want to do anything different. I still want to be in charge. So I'm out. So my first question is that if you were in the story, which one of the two guys would you have been? Would you be the guy who was only mentioned in Matthew? Or would you have been the guy that was mentioned in Mark and Luke? So that guy had a different ending. Matthew tells us there were two, though. But when the town got there, just, just one of them was there. But the change in him, oh my gosh, they, they didn't know what to do with that. Like, like you could, you and I have seen videos of TV preachers doing like healings or whatever, and look, oh, my arms are different. Pray for them. <gasps> They're healed. Right? And then, um, but... You ain't faking this one. This is somebody's brother. Like half the men in this village had been beat up by these guys and they saw them break the chains. Like he's wearing clothes. Like he's actually having a, like I don't, I don't know what's happening right now, but I'm very uncomfortable. Would you please leave? That, that's what happened in the story. Um, verse 16 of Mark chapter 5, then those who had seen what had happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. And here's the part of the story I wanted to get to. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who'd been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said no. I wonder if that hurt. Now, I love this response from the guy. So when Jesus is kicked out, he's like, well, then I'm going too. Like, if you guys don't want him, you don't want me. I'm with him. It reminds me of the scene in um, Count of Monte Cristo where uh, Jim Caviezel, who plays the Count of Monte Cristo, I forget his name, but then uh, Jacobo, who's played by Luis Guzman. In my opinion, that's the best movie Luis Guzman's ever been in. And they're supposed to do a knife fight, and Caviezel wins, and he's supposed to kill Jacobo, but he spares his life. And then the captain of the pirates tells him to kill him, and then he, Jim Caviezel gives a really good answer on why he ought to spare him. And then when Jacobo realizes that he would have killed Caviezel, but Caviezel didn't kill him, he gets up and he goes, Satara, I am your man for life. I am your 
Anybody remember that scene? Oh my gosh. You know what? Only five of you have seen that movie, but I'm still glad I brought it up. It's my favorite movie in the world. It's, it's an awesome movie. But with Luis Guzman, when he does that, like, I am your man for life. I'm your man. I will die for you. It's a beautiful scene. It's really cool. I see this guy doing that. He's like, I, I had nothing, man. I lost everything. And no doubt he could remember some of the crazy stuff he was doing. He just wasn't in control of his body because of the demons. And Jesus gives him back his whole life. He's like, bro, I would die for you. Like, if you get in the boat, I'm in the boat. If you're out of the boat, I'm out of the boat. You want to go right, I'll go right. You want to go, go left, I go left. You want to go right, I'll go right. If you go up, I go up. If you want to go down, I go down. Like, I, I am your man. So if you're getting in the boat, I'm getting, this, you got Jesus and the 12 disciples. And the 13th dude is trying to get in the boat. And Jesus stops him and says, no. And I wonder for a split second, like his whole world started to fall apart again. No, you, you, can't, you can't go with me. Right? No. There's what Jesus says. But Jesus said, no. Go home to your family and let them and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the 10 towns. Now, the Greek word that's used there is decapolis. It's translated into English of what decapolis means. Deca is the prefix for what number? 10. And then the opolis is a village. So it's the, the 10 villages. So that's the 10 towns. One of those towns has the Gadarenes. One of those towns has the Gerasenes. Truthfully, they could have used eight other names and it wouldn't have been a contradiction. The stories fit together like that. So the man went and started off to visit the 10 towns of that region and began um, to proclaim the great things that Jesus had done for him and everyone was amazed at what he had told them. And there's three things I want you to learn from this story. The first is this, that Jesus has the authority of God because he is. The demons recognize the authority of Jesus. The story that the guys went and told, you find this in Mark and Luke, is they, they went and told everybody everything that had happened because they had been watching everything that had been happening. So they're on a hill. I know the tombs were placed in a hill, so in between is the valley that has the beach. This is how I picture it in my head. This is how I've always pictured it in my head. Then in 2017, I went to Israel, and we were leaving Capernaum, and we were coming along the east side of the Sea of Galilee, and then we were going to go down to where the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River. That was the next stop on the trip. Um, I was with a, a church that had invited me to preach a couple of months earlier, and I'd preached on this passage of Scripture. And I was explaining to the bus driver who was Jewish, I was like, hey, the Bible tells a story of uh, tombs, and there's a hill, and there's another hill, and in between is a beach. And he goes, well, there's only one place like that on the on the, and I knew it was on the eastern side of the galley because that's where the Decapolis is. And I, and I, I go, uh, and, and there's a beach there where you could land a boat. And he goes, well, there's only place, one, like, one place like that. And I said, how far is it? And he goes, well, we're going we're gonna to drive right through it. So now there's a road that comes over the hill where the tombs are right here and it goes up on the hill where the pigs were. And then when you're down like here in, in the little valley right here, you look to the right and there's the beach that Jesus would land his boat on. So the guy pulled over, and I got to stand on the hill that the pigs were on. And there's actually a cliff there uh, that's kind of worn down over time. And during, the, um, uh, during one of the wars that Israel is defending itself against their neighbors, there's actually a bunker built into the side of that hill now. But you could, like, you're looking across, and here's the valley. And, and the guy goes, right over there is where the He goes, nobody's used it in over 1,000 years, but there's the, there's the cemetery. It's over there, and it's in the woods. And then there's a flat space, no trees, and just smooths out, nice sloping gradual uh, to, the, to, the, to the beach. So these guys standing up on this hill that I was standing on, they could have seen everything. 
So if this storm was so bad that the fishermen thought they were going to drown, there's probably a storm that they were in, so they probably would have been ducking down behind rocks or whatever. And then all of a sudden, the storm goes away. When Jesus says, peace be still, they would have said, like, that's crazy, right? And then they see this boat pulling up on the beach that nobody would have gone to that lived there. So you know what they were thinking? <laughs> Tourists. So one dude calls the other dude, and they're all going to watch this. Dude gets out of the beach. Two naked guys come up. They fall down and start worshiping him. That's, they've never seen that happen. That's weird. Now they're talking. Then the demon-possessed dudes are saying, send us into those pigs. And they look up the hill, and they're like, oh, crap, they're pointing at us. Are they really? They look up and then Jesus says, go. But they don't know what they're saying. They can just see him pointing at them. They're like, crap, they're looking at us. And 2,000 demons fly up the hill and get into the pigs that they don't see. But then the pigs go crazy. At what point did they realize the pigs were, something was wrong? That's what I want to know. I'm wondering if one of the pigs' heads just started turning around in circles. <laughs> and a pig looked at the dude and went, Meow. And all them pigs just, woo, 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 woo. They're all barking. Moo. Buck, 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 buck. They run off the cliff and drown. Well, these guys are like, crap, we're out of work. Now, we better go tell somebody. They're going to think we stole them. And they said everything that had happened, right? But these demons, they fell down and worshiped. Why? And Jesus let them worship him, which an angel from God would not have received worship as though it was God. And Jesus obviously isn't a demon who would have let them worship him. Jesus is God. The, the demons obeyed Jesus even if other people don't obey Jesus. They recognized him as God even if other people don't recognize him as God. Second, Jesus came to rescue broken people. The demon-possessed people were beyond being helped. And right at the beginning of Matthew chapter 9, so in the middle of all of these stories of miracles, Matthew puts his own conversion story right in the middle. And the way Matthew tells it, he's sitting at a tax collecting table and all of these good and decent Jewish people are in line to pay their extortion to Rome. And Jesus walks up and doesn't talk to any of the good and decent people in line. He comes to the scumbag at the front and he goes, I pick you but you got to leave your table. Matthew tells a story. He stands up and leaves the table exactly as it is and starts following Jesus. Here's what Matthew says happens next in Matthew chapter 9, verse 10. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many other tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Why? Matthew knows who he is. And this is what I am. This is all I got. All these disreputable people are at this party. And right in the middle of this party with all of these horrible sinners is Jesus. Verse 11, but when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, because healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do moron. Morons in the Greek. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of the scripture. I want to show mercy, not, I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I've come to call, not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners. The only person I don't think God will help is the person who doesn't think they need it. That's the only person that God has no use for. That's it. 
And third, Jesus rescues broken people to rescue broken people. Had to be hard for that guy to hear Jesus say, no, I had to be hard. But Jesus knew they won't listen to me. But you know who they will listen to? You. Why? Your family. That's why. So go and just tell your story. That's what he tells them. Just go, go, go. They, I mean, they could reject Jesus, but they couldn't reject what Jesus had done in this guy's life. And this guy, he's not a theologian. Like, he's been in his right mind for how long? An hour? Two hours? Like, how many hours did it take for them to gather up the townspeople to come out to see Jesus? I don't know. That's, that's, that's as much time as he's had to actually spend with Jesus. He's not a seminarian. He's not a rabbi. He's not an apprentice to a rabbi. He's a mess is what he is, but he's an expert on his own story, and that's what he was responsible for. So did the man do his job? Jesus only comes back to the bad side of Sea of Galilee one other time in the whole Bible, and it's in Matthew chapter 15. And the Bible says there's 4,000 men plus women and children waiting on him, and that's where you have the feeding of the 4,000. Did homeboy do his job, yes or no? Homeboy killed it. So you ain't got to be religious. You ain't got to be a theologian. You definitely ain't got to be a pastor. You have to take Bible college. You don't have to be a Christian for a long time. You just had to have had experience with God that made a difference in your life. And you're an expert on your story. And God gave you that story because other people need to hear it to get their own. And you know who's going to listen to you? Your family and your friends. You know why they'll listen to you? Because they actually love you. You know who they won't listen to? Me. You know why? They don't give a rat's butt about me. They ain't here. But they're your friends. And at some point, they're going to have a question about God. And guess who they're going to come to? They're going to, hey, let me email this random dude, Navon, at a church that's in a square brown turd. That's what I was going to say, but I was like, I don't want to say turd. I'm glad I didn't. But a square box. They're going to talk to you, and they're going to say something like, you started going to church a lot. What's that about? Okay. You don't have to defend why you go to church. Just tell the story of what God's doing in your heart. You've changed a lot over the last year and a half. What's going on? You don't need to, there's no sermon here, dude. There's just you and your story. You just need Dude, I think God's real, and he's fixing crap on the inside. I didn't think, didn't, didn't think it could get fixed. Okay. That took you, what, six seconds? But, bro, that's your story. And if they have questions, let them ask questions. You don't have to give them a defense of Noah's Ark or Jonah and the whale. But you're an expert on what God's doing right now in your life, and that's what you're responsible for. And it is enough for right now. It's It's enough. Uh, we see this happen all over the rest of the Gospels. People whose lives are changed go and get their friends, and their lives are changed. Uh, so there's two groups of people here. There are those who are disconnected from God, and there's those who are connected from God. And I see that in the same story. There's two guys that are disconnected from God, and then there's one guy who stays connected to God. Uh, so here's what I know, that if you're far from God and your life is jacked up, and on the inside it's all dark, and I don't know what's in there. I don't know. Addictions, anger, hate, like, I don't know. Like, what, why do you feel so far from God? Here's what I know from this story. That if you were the only one far from God in this church, 
Jesus would go through a hurricane and storm the beach just to get you. And if you were the person here who was farthest from God, you were the one person's house he'd want to go to for lunch over all the other religious people in this room combined. Why? Jesus came for broken people. You're the whole point, dude. It's you. You're the one he came for. That's it. But what he's going to ask you to do is sit at his feet. Like walk with him. Talk to him. Read what he has to say. Put it into practice. Live, love, give, and serve. The way he lived, loved, given, served. Get it, give God a chance to actually change your inner man, your inner girl, so that you can become the person he created you to be. Or, I got what I wanted to feel better. Peace, I'm out. And be like the, the first dude. You get to choose. Let's pray. God, I love you with all my heart, and I'm thankful, unbelievably thankful. That there's none of us, no matter how jacked up our life is, that you've ever stopped loving. I want to say thank you for that. Thank you for coming. Like, us being here today is part of you charging the beaches for us. You brought us here today to hear this, that you still care. You still love us and you see us. Jesus, you came to pay for all of our stupid mistakes on the cross. I would never have asked you to do that, but since you did it, I'd, I'd be crazy to ignore it. I'm not gonna disrespect you either, so thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for rising from the dead with new life to give me a new shot at life. I want that. So God, if you're forgiven, people forgive me. Make that your prayer. If you're forgiving people, forgive me. If you're fixing broken people, then fix me. If you came to rescue, rescue me. I want in the boat. But what I want more is to do what you want. So if you want me out of the boat, tell me that. If you want me to go up the beach, I'll go up the beach. If you want me to go down the beach, I'll go down the beach. I am your man. I am your girl for life. Just tap me on the shoulder and tell me what you want. You got my yes. Make that your prayer. You got my yes. I'm yours. Make that your prayer. God, thank you for loving us and taking us back as many times as we, spiritually speaking, cheat on you. Walk away. Run away from home. You never lock the door behind us. In fact, not only do you leave it open, you come looking. I want to say thanks. Thanks for loving me that much. And I'm asking you to guide and direct my life. Just put it in my head, what you want me to do, and I'll do it. Tell me what you want me to let go of, I'll let go of it. Tell me what you want me to pick up, and I'll pick up. God, just tell me. That's my prayer. We ask this in Jesus' name, and we all say it together. Amen. Amen.